It's, it's a two-hander, isn't it? It's a husband and wife. I don't know. I've, I haven't ever read back. it. I haven't ever read it. We're talking about Chekhov because we're going to come back to Chekhov later in the podcast. But we've also been on the road this week. Yeah, on Both the of road us again. On the road again. Somebody, somebody <laughs> tweeted me this week and said um, said that they were really enjoying the podcast, which is very nice. So I'm very grateful for that. But they said that they were very shocked that I said that I used to go as far afield as Leicester to go and see <laughs> Stevens on time shows, and they felt that was really unkind. And I said to them, I retweet, I tweeted back to them that. In fact, when I said that, I was actually based in Coventry. <laughs> so, I wasn't going a very long way to Leicester at all. It was just that whole idea of leaving your home. It's, it always feels as far afield. Yeah. But I've been on the road this week. I went madly, actually. Um, I was watching the cricket, which, as you know, is another of my obsessions. And I was watching the cricket at Laws. And then... Um, Got a train to Bath, which, so that's a journey time of approximately, um, well, I suppose about two and a half hours door to door uh, from Lords to, to the Theatre Royal in Bath. And uh, to see a, 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 an evening's entertainment that was an hour long and specifically to see a dance piece by Kim Brunstrup, which was 20 minutes long. Oh, really? <laughs> so I thought, this is completely mental, but um, was absolutely brilliant. So totally, oh, totally justified the journey. And um, yeah, then I came home on a train, which took two and a half hours, full of people wearing wigs. I don't quite know why. It was oh, really? a complete party train. Oh, how funny. It was very weird. Where Where's is Lords? I never know. I can always... Lords is in St. John's Wood. So actually very okay. near to Paddington. I walked to Paddington. Okay. In the pouring rain. I'm not a fair with the location. No, of I know. I, I've got to introduce you to cricket. But you've been round and about too, haven't you? I have. We're doing our sort of family... Um, I, I never know if it, if it's a staycation if you stayed at home or if you stayed in your country of origin. Is it a staycation? Can you be? Yeah, a staycation. Uh, is I, a staycation being at home, oh, or is a staycation know. just not going abroad? I well, I've always used it for not going abroad. I think it's I think it's so being in been, your country. Yeah, we've had an amazing time actually. From uh, very north Devon, we went to Stratford upon Avon, where we've just been for the three days, and then. We're sort of going on a bit. We're, we're then doing Lyme Regis and then a bit of the New Forest. But Stratford-upon-Avon was your, um, is your, where your culture comes in in this episode of, yeah. as the actress said to the cricket. Critic. To the cricket. To the cricket. <laughs> as the actress said to the cricket. <laughs> no! As the actress said to the critic. And I'm the critic, not the cricket, Sarah Crompton. <laughs> Actress, no, we ought to do this if we ever forget. I'm Nancy. Am I Nancy? Yes, I'm Nancy. Nancy Carroll, the actress. Hello. In at Stratford in the RSC, you um, it's a very special place for you, isn't it? Because it's it's a place you worked and yeah. so on. Well, it's, it's a well, cultural it's, bit. Yeah, we've both done loads and loads of uh, spent lots of time there. Um, Joe's done many more seasons than me, but uh, we met on a Shakespeare job uh, working for Greg Doran and. Uh, you know, we both started out there and both completely uh, love doing Shakespeare. And also then I stayed um, where we stayed with the kids this summer. I stayed there for the first few um, series of Father Brown. So that became, uh, right. that was my base. So I've I sort of feel like it's a, one of our sort of spiritual homes, really. And it feels very familiar and the kids love it and... And it was actually really nice because we haven't been back for a few years. And so it was a bit of walking down memory lane this time. The kids were like, oh, yeah, I remember this sandpit, mm -hmm. you know. And, oh, yeah, I remember this coffee place. And it's just lovely. I, I think it's a, it's a really 
a really special place. I mean, it's there's lots going on and it's a much bigger conversation because there's actually only one theatre that open at the moment. Right. And we did manage to go and see All's Well, The End's Well, which was great, uh, although they are still in preview. Which was what we thought we might talk about this week because you went to see it... Um and it was still in preview. Yeah. And um, you said that that made you... So tell tell us a bit about the production. I don't know much because well, it's, it's in preview. I, I, I didn't know, know much about much. it. I, I really, really want to see um, Richard Third as well. And I think Joe might get a chance to go and see that because we have a few friends in it. And I think it's, you know, very interesting production. It's also very interesting for Greg because, of course, having just lost his husband, Anthony Cher, you know, that's one of the most famous productions yeah. that Tony ever did. And, and I think he's found that... Um, both cathartic and heartbreaking to revisit it, um, and I and we wanted to go and see it, but it just with the timing, all's well was on, and it's not a play that I know at all. I've never done it. I've never seen it, and it was quite interesting because yes, they're in preview, and there are lots of actors in it that I and I didn't know, but I think it, I find it more and more fascinating to go and see shows like that with my kids because they were gripped. Yeah, they were absolutely gripped and for an 11 year old to sit at the front you know the edge of his seat for two and a half hours or whatever it was I just thought they're onto something here mm. from an older perspective I think it, that I find very fascinating because we were staying with a friend who is passionate 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 about theatre and has been going to the Stratford Summer School for about 30 years and she said something interesting so we had three generations of people sat there watching this preview and obviously and we had friends. directed by Blanche McIntyre isn't yes, it? Blanche and it's, it's deliberately yeah go on well, no, no, it's, it's just an interesting thing in terms of taste. And there was stuff about it that I absolutely loved. And some of the verse speaking, again, even in preview, I, it was astounding and beautiful. And there was great clowning in it, um, you know, and, and the comedy I thought was fantastic. And, you know, the RST is quite an interesting place to build a set for. And, and that's another episode I think it'd be interesting to talk about designing for yeah. for strange places and what designers do and when things really, really work and when sometimes they... It feels that it, it it sort of almost blocks the performance, right? You know, which I you know it isn't something that I could ever do, but it but it is but it is a really interesting conversation about generationally how designers change and yeah, and, yeah it's changed so much, yeah, and it taste changes and and bare spaces and what that does to to Shakespeare particularly because it means in a way that anyway I'm sort of digressing but I think sometimes with with very complex language. So has this got a complex set? Has this got a complex set? No it's a very simple set. Right. Actually it's it's very bare Um, and there were choices that that I sort of struggled with but interestingly the kids were like no it's great it was really interesting and you know so but there's an interesting sorry going back early morning podcast Jane said when she this is our friend who we were staying with when she first started going to summer school um, 30 years ago there were older members of the classes who she felt were saying oh god you know when I saw Olivier do it and this is how it should be done and she was coming in with all these fresh ideas and really really excited by new directors and new ideas and new design and new takes on plays and we feel that we sort of come full circle so she's now 80 yeah and is still passionate and wanting to talk about all this stuff but we're sat there with a 14 year old and 11 year old who and we we were going oh well I didn't really understand that and I didn't really understand that and the kids were like no it was really really interesting yeah. so suddenly you're seeing it all there in front of you again generation gener- is that even a word generationally generationally yes, it is. um y- y- you're suddenly 
you're seeing the shift yeah. happen almost in slow motion. I, I think we're in a, a particularly interesting moment for directors. I mean, um, so I went, um, which we will come to within this episode, I went last night to see The Seagull, directed by Jamie Lloyd, with um, my niece, um, Ethelyn, who is... 18 and so you know similarly excited so excited by the possibility and she and I were saying that it's such a good moment for uh, another generation of directors who are are kind of really rethinking some of those classic shows like Jamie Lloyd, Robert I, Rebecca Frecknell, Blanche McIntyre, I mean Royal Alexander Weiss. There's some really really interesting thinking going on about how you present those plays to another generation and how you make them really fresh and um, All's Well That Ends Well is so interesting because you it isn't done very often. I mean, no. I, I, I have fond memories of Stratford because I worked in Coventry, which was, of course, very near. Though obviously, I'd be saying, "Oh, I'd trail out to Stratford," <laughs> but um, <laughs> and I saw. So I've only seen it once, and I remember very little about it except that I think it starred Juliet Stevenson, and it definitely starred um, Peggy Ashcroft as the. Countess, Countess, which I think was her last stage performance. And certainly it's the only oh, time wow. I've ever seen Peggy Ashcroft wow. on a stage. And I was so kind of excited yes, that of I course. was seeing her, which is that it is that interesting thing about um, the RSC that you it, it is so full of legend. You yeah. know, and, and there's always that sense of people saying, oh, but I saw Peggy Ashcroft or I saw Anthony Sher. I did see yeah, that yeah. Anthony Sher, Richard III. And that was one of the definitely the theatrical highlights of my youth and I am I interviewed Arthur Hughes who's playing it now and who is a disabled actor his first disabled actor at the RSC yes and he was we were talking about how that how a play can have a huge impact and so for a young audience now seeing him that will have such a different yes impact but I was really interested that you were worried because you were seeing a preview so the press have real trouble with previews I mean my my my, um, journalistic colleagues and I have a kind of long battles about previews but tell me why you were worried about seeing a preview for you know because it's it's hard to judge for the actors it's a really interesting process previews and lots of actors feel differently about it some actors uh, will give out first night cards on the first preview because they always think well this is it you know we're open to the audience now and there will be shifts and changes, but as far as I'm concerned, we're open. And then then there are others who absolutely adamantly hold on to the fact that it's a rehearsal with an audience and that, you know, we're not doing the done deal until press night and that's just the way it is. It, it, it's quite an exhausting process, previews. Why is it exhausting? Why? Because you are doing a show and you're coming in, generally you come in about lunchtime the next day and then you will... No, you'll be noted and then you'll rehearse on stage. Sometimes you have massive changes, sometimes changes in, in text, sometimes changes in blocking, sometimes... I mean, I've done shows where we've changed where the interval is, we've changed music, Gosh. we've changed, you know, and, and really, really dramatic changes. And then you you break for dinner and then you do a show. Yeah. And it, it is a preview and it's, you know, it's sold as a preview. Often the ticket prices are cheaper all the rest of it and it is a rehearsal but it's you do those shows by the you know with your pants on fire and that's not the right <laughs> phrase but you just you're nice sort of, you just you, sometimes you don't know what the hell is going to come out because you're 
your brain is swimming yeah. with information. You're knackered because of the adrenaline and everything else. I find it creatively quite an interesting process because I think tiredness sometimes gives you an economy yeah. of thought and intention, which is actually useful. Yeah, and of course you've got the audience reaction, which yeah. must be really useful to know how yeah. things are landing. And you're sort of, you. I, I find that you're a bit more naked, actually. You're naked to audience reaction, but it is terrifying yeah. because i mean when i've done shows with entirely new newly written scenes that i've just about got off Gosh. the page at about half past six shoving a sandwich in my face and then you're like okay get into costume do this and what is it what is it what is it and you're literally running lines in the wings yeah. and then you go on and do it yeah. and but it's sort of it's very real and it is what it is which is that you know, you go into a preview and it is, uh, you're, uh, you are previewing what will be the finished show. So as an actor, to go and watch other actors going through that to, process, th through that, on the one hand, you're supportive because you know exactly what they're going through and, and you can sort of feel the vibrations of nerves on stage. But also I've been to shows and gone backstage for a drink with actors and they're like, what are you doing here? Yeah. I remember going to see the first night of Yerma at the Young Vic oh, and going yes. for a drink with them afterwards and they were like, why are you here? That's just really mean. Why would you do that? You know, And there is an element of that, which is that no, don't come and see us when we're naked. Don't come and see us when we haven't worked out what we're doing or how to put our trousers on in three seconds flat because you know the, we haven't worked out the quick change. Yeah. Um, it's it's that that's the bit as an actor you think sorry 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 you know yeah that's interesting so but from the point of view, that is interesting because that's a completely different view than I would say that the the press have a previews which are I, I, which is slightly irritable actually I, right. I I would say that throughout I, I see very few previews obviously because I'm nearly always going in on a press night and even before I was kind of writing about theatre professionally I would tend to go after you know after yeah, a fairly yeah good time um, but the previews are really complicated from the point of view of editors because they 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 have this sense that you know if it's up and running and there's a long preview period then actually the public are paying to see it and the critics should be allowed in to give their judgment it's particularly the case with musicals because musicals have of course a very very long preview period by right. and large and not all of those previews are at cut price right i remember having a um a long discussion, I think I'll call it, with Andrew Lloyd Webber's people about a particular show that uh, that seemed just to be in preview forever. And in yeah, fact, Cinderella yeah. recently was in preview for a very long time. And I was working as an arts editor then. And, you know, the editor kept saying, you know, I'm hearing all this stuff. This, I think this was even before Twitter, you know. So it wasn't like coming through Twitter, but it was coming through word of mouth. People saying... Um, I, you know, having views on a show and, and the press weren't being allowed in. And I always held the line and said, you have to wait for the press night, you have to wait for the press night, or you have to at least wait until you're invited in. Yeah. But it can be really frustrating because you do feel that lots and lots of people have seen it. And there's a very, very famous instance when uh, Benedict Cumberbatch's Hamlet opened. Right. And it's kind of hard to imagine now the level of hysteria that was around Benedict at that point because it was Sherlock and everybody just wanted to see his Hamlet. And the Times took the decision to send a critic to the first preview. Right. And um, 
it caused a huge row. It caused a huge row in every newspaper office. So all the other newspapers were saying, why didn't you do that? So every arts editor was hauled in, right. which was kind of quite tricky because you were saying, well, you know, this is a sort of, you know, I've always taken the view that it's a sort of deal between theatres and critics, that you have to have a kind of mutual respect on both sides. But, you know, you, your editor, not surprisingly, just feels that he's been scooped. Um, but it also caused a row because um, they said that, they said what you're saying, which was that the show wasn't ready. And in fact, that they, they made, they, they actually changed things because they'd done quite a lot of moving of the scenes of the Hamlet. Yeah. And that it wasn't in a fixed form, and which we slightly took as being, oh, well, you're just saying that because you didn't want us to come in. Yeah. But obviously, it, it, it was, you're saying, would be true. that they Completely. And I think particularly when, you know, it's a... a sort of very heavily produced show and you've got lots of people involved and lots of, you know, writers and I, I imagine even more so with musical theatre that you've got so many different departments that need to be satisfied and, and ready to sign off and the balance of all of those different personalities. And I, I mean, sometimes the changes you make in preview are very, very subtle and it may be that the last three shows of a preview period are pretty much what yeah. you're going to see. Um, and at that point... I mean, I've done shows where directors will say, are you happy for the press to come in a couple of nights early? And you think, yeah, nothing's really changing. We're happy right, with where it's right. at. And you'll have what's tantamount to more like a Broadway p- press week where people are dribbling in and out and you sort of know that. And people will say, well, actually, The Guardian were in or actually yeah. The Times was in or actually, you know, FT came last night or whatever. And so we're aware. We know all of that. And we know that everybody's desperate to come and see it. But also it might be that you've got a couple of press nights hang- happening on the same day you know or you know around the same time and all of that is a really tricky juggling act on both sides that aside there will be um particularly with new plays or if like when we did the magistrate and Stephen Beresford was doing the rewrites we were adjusting certain bits they were adjusting according to how audiences were reacting interesting so they had allowed for seven audiences reaction to to rework what eventually was put in front of a, a show. But also we'd had Jonathan Coy took over from um, Patrick Barlow 10 days before we opened. So it was giving him every possible opportunity to bed in before we were... So there's sometimes, you know, the spectrum of the amount of daily changes that are occurring means that, that every ounce of that preview week is going yeah. to be used. It's interesting, though, because one of the arguments that... Um, the uh, I used to have is that opera and ballet yeah. just open. You know, there's no preview period. So in their rehearsal period, yeah. they they build in this idea that you, you have to just open um, a night and that's yeah. it. And you have a, a, a few technical rehearsals and you have a dress and then you open. Yeah. And Bob Crowley, who the first time he came to design for ballet, having worked a lot in theatre, obviously with Nick Heitner and having always had preview periods for the sets, he said that he just couldn't believe it. We I interviewed him when he came to the Opera House to do a ballet called Alice's Adventures in Wonderland. And he said to me, I just can't believe it. I've got the most complicated set. I've got a video projections. I've got things coming in from the wounds. I've got everything going on. And I've, I've got to open it yeah. on a night. Um, and so that that always used to be that used to be part of the argument that what you know, just like, why can't they get it ready? But I guess it's 
So you're saying it's really partly also tuning for audiences as well. Well, it's which co- comedy. I guess it's slightly different. Comedy, definitely. I mean, the interesting, the two experiences I've had where they have been inaugural productions. So when Josie Rourke took over the Donmar we did the recruiting officer, and when uh, Nick Heiner opened the bridge with Young Marks, those two experiences, I think there was so much riding on both of them that in the end the play and the production was only part of the pie of of what we were all experiencing. There was a lot of stress around, well, partly with the bridge, it was getting the building ready. But also with Josie, I think there was a sort of sense of wanting to hit the ground running. First woman in charge of Donmar, Yeah, first woman in charge of the Donmar. In fact, in charge of any London theatre, I think, wasn't it? It was more than that. She was the first woman in charge. I think she was the first woman in charge of a producing London theatre. Wow. I didn't. Amazing. Really, I don't think I clocked that. I think. Well, I can't well, think who else was. I think. It, I mean, and actually, Before the way her. the way that Josie handled that whole opening, I was so impressed by her because she had, you know, loads and loads of interviews. She and Kate yeah. Packenham were being interviewed left, right, and centre because yeah, it was a massive her. deal taking over from Grandage, and I think. Um, you know, and and the way that she again, this is again, this is one of the the things that directors have different qualities, and and you know, like actors, we all have a have a bag of stuff, and and luckily it's all different stuff, and so you can balance each other out. But the thing that that I think Josie is absolutely brilliant at is listening to audiences right. and listening to what worked, and she made incredibly strong interesting decisions through that whole period. I mean, she was the one that changed where the interval was. Right. But also she had a a troupe of extraordinary musicians who, and a fantastic MD, and they were writing new music and playing new music live on stage without scores every single night. And... To be part of that, you know, to be part of that process, we were like, okay, guys, this the, the first half is too long. We have to move. We have to move the interval. Okay, this music isn't really working. The temperature needs to change, and those conversations. So we really were flying by the yeah. seat of our pants. Yeah. But that was driven by a really sort of strong hold on the on the helm, you know, and 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 so she sort of gathered strength and momentum. I think with an with the audience information that gave us every night okay this works this doesn't work and she was able to negotiate that and that's to know that you've got that preview period to play with and that you know it is it's a really really important part of the rehearsal process it's not it's not an add-on that we're greedily using sometimes it's 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 fundamental in the way that it's used and and you know, as I say, sometimes it isn't you. Sometimes yeah. we're sort of there, and other times it, it's it's literally, you know, it, it comes together in the last five minutes. Yeah, I do. I mean, I I think that is really interesting. I also think it's um, true that the um, Broadway system of, yeah. of multiple um, press nights, effectively. So you choose. I think they usually give you three three nights to choose from, and everybody knows that the press is going in on those nights. Is a really good system. Yeah. The National very briefly uh, toyed with in, introducing it um, under Nick Heitner, and um, I have one of the more um, embarrassing experiences of my professional life because I had lobbied for this so hard because I don't much like press nights. Press nights. Yeah. It previews are. Kind Kind of different and unreal press nights. I mean, I don't know what you feel, but for me, in the audience, are completely um, unreal. The the the, it's the, like the a way, that, yeah, it's yeah. a real roller coaster. You've got an audience that is 
um, not a normal audience because it's basically inviting guests. And you've got a sort of frenetic quality to a press night, which I yeah. think sometimes makes it really hard to judge a show and to kind of put a bubble around yourself and and stay calm within that kind of slight hysteria, really, around press yeah. So I love the idea of three press nights and then an opening night where you invite all the guests and we the press don't go so Nick Heitner decided to experiment with this at the National and we were so thrilled and it was brilliant and we were invited in early and it was just at the point where the internet was really taking off and and everybody was doing um, online first and accidentally the review which was meant to be embargoed for three nights got put in the wrong queue and it appeared online and I got this frantic moment cover that I should go what are you doing that's oh, no. a um, and I, I you know immediately took it down and groveled for about a week um but actually it is brilliant and people do abide by embargoes in my experience if they're told and and then you do see the play in kind of sort of semi-natural conditions which I think is 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 fairer and easier yeah, fairer and easier to judge just sitting with an audience of people who've paid money for their tickets, really. It's interesting. I mean, I think, you know, I don't imagine this would ever happen, but it would be interesting if, along with the star system, there was some kind of code for what day of the week you went, yes. what kind of audience they were, what the weather was like outside. <laughs> uh, uh, you know, was it was the cue for the lose sort of uncontrollable? Because I think all of that sort of affects the temperature of an audience and yeah. you know and if you have people it's been really hot you have a tired audience if you have if it's a bit rainy and cold people are quite happy to be sat in a theatre you know if you're going on a Wednesday matinee or a Thursday matinee people generally it's like a Monday night I quite like a Monday yeah. night show because if you can't go to the theatre on a Monday night you really want to see that show yeah. if you go to the theatre on a Friday night or a Saturday night they're like this is my weekend, guys. Yes. I need some serious entertaining. <laughs> yes. And they often sit back and go, okay, where, you yeah. know, where are your goods? Yeah, show me. Yeah, show, show me. me. And they're a harder <laughs> audience to win over. And yeah. all of that is really interesting. So almost like a sort of golf handicap. It'd be lovely if there was some kind of code yeah. as part of a, of a review where you could say, look, I saw it on a Thursday matinee. It was really hot outside. There was The political atmosphere was completely upside down. You know, this was the style of the audience. And <laughs> actually, the toilet queue was ridiculous. So that's that was the audience that we had. And you, so it was almost like you could So these are the conditions in which I review this show yeah it would be interesting I well conversely so last night I went with, to see as I've just said to see the seagull yeah. which of course is, is is a very well um bedded in uh production because it opened in July while I was away so I couldn't see it and actually I haven't um really looked at the reviews but my sense of the reviews yeah is that they're slightly mixed that some people absolutely adored it and some people found it a bit stripped bare and right. it, it, it I, I mean it's Jamie Lloyd who I admire so much and he um he has done this production of the sequel which basically strips it back to its essence so it's not only that the kind of realistic naturalistic trimmings have gone but it's also that they literally sort of sit on a stage and um and and look out at the audience and and do the speeches. They do look at each other. There is a choreography of it, which means that the relationships between the characters are established. But essentially, they're sitting on chairs speaking. Right. And the intensity of it is 
unbelievable. Yeah. And it is quite slow. It's not, you know, there's not, um, it's not pacey. There isn't a huge amount of humour in it, though there's some brilliant Indira Varma, who is um, Arkadina, is just kind of one, her timing is so good. And she's, she's beautiful kind of, on stage. But I just thought it was devastatingly good. Yeah. And a good cast, you know, Amelia Clark as uh, um, Nina and Robert Glenister, who is always wonderful. And yeah. Daniel Monks is Constantine. And I'd only seen him before in Teenage Dick, which is a, a kind of version of Richard III, which, in which oh, he yes, was really yes. good. And he is naked, Constantine. You know, you said that about, you just feel his suffering so yeah, intensely yeah. on the stage. And because of this stripped-back nature of the production, um, it, it's sen- I think it's sensational. And it does have that quality of being completely bedded in. Yes. Of just, they, they, they all absolutely in it and yes. know where they're at with it. And but I think it's interesting with a concept like that, that you, that anything, uh, that perhaps that sort of conceptual piece lends itself to, um, you know, a, a press night because it knows what it is. Yeah. You know, sometimes you do shows that, that are still, it, it is still trying to work out where their edges are a bit and it will take a bit of time to yeah. bed in. And that doesn't necessarily take away from its gloriousness. It just, it's just negotiating its identity, which sometimes is an exciting process. But I, I think what, what Jamie's doing, I mean, I haven't seen... Um, the, the seagull but I saw Cyrano oh, yeah. and I just amazing. loved it I think it's like a haiku yeah. you know it's so um, anybody that loves words yeah. it, it, it it's sort of like getting under a really fantastically uh, warm goose down duvet yeah and just sort of going God this is so good and and I don't want to ever move it has this fantastic effect of making old plays yeah. seem completely contemporary. And it was, actually, the other interesting thing going last night was that there were a lot of young people in the audience. It was quite that's a young West wonderful. End audience. And you felt that, I mean, that's partly, obviously, Amelia Clark because, you know, Game of Thrones has just brought her to such a wide audience. Yeah. But it's, I think, also that if you left that theatre, you would go and say, oh, yeah, this is really quite yeah, interesting. And yeah. it's not like Chekhov, as you know it. It's something much more that reveals Chekhov as... It, it sort of reveals to me why Chekhov has survived, not just that immense humanity, but also just how interesting he is. You know, yeah. all the interesting stuff that he's he's toying around with about yeah. artifice and reality and about um, philosophy and um life about you know there's a brilliant Masha speech where she's talking about you know you're just set, setting up all this idea of unrequited love and a miserable life and I'm actually just going to go and really put it up against reality I'm just going to forget it I'm going to forget that I ever loved this man yes, yes. and and you just think yeah gosh you know and it's it's done so fiercely and with such passion that I felt you know it speaks to everybody yes and actually, the other thing I wanted to say to, to, to come to a close a bit was that, of course, because the sequel is all about acting, because I knew we were doing this this morning, um, I was thinking about that Nina speech where she talks about being on a stage. And I thought this was relevant of previews, actually, where she talks about being on a stage and knowing you're bad and you don't know what it's like 
to to be on a stage and know that you're acting badly and have forgotten what to do with your hands or have forgotten what to do um, with your body or your voice. Yeah. And I thought I I wondered for you how how sort of true is that? Have you have you or have other? I don't want to say Nancy. Have you ever been a bad actress? But <laughs> <laughs> I, I mean, have, I mean, it's, how, how much is what Chekhov's describing there, which is obviously you know drawn from his own experience working with theatre companies and from his wife and everything that how much is that just kind of does the seagull ring sort of true for an actor i think i think the nature of not feeling ready to be witnessed or watched or to feel part of a company is the most exposing, excruciating, anxiety-making yeah. experience that you spend the rest of your life trying to get over. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, you know, partly previews can do that to you. Yeah. And, and certainly when lovers and partners and family come and watch you and they know you inside out, the number of times Joe has come and said... Okay, you don't know what you're doing in the first half, do you? And I, how me. how dare you? Yes, I don't know what I'm doing in the first half. You know, and that that and that he can then come back two or three previews later and say, "Okay, you've worked it out." Right. You know, and 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 so that partly is, you know, in answer to your original question about the nature of previews and all the rest of it, it's an incredibly exposing process. Yeah. yeah. And so for the press to want to come in before you're entirely yeah. ready is is terrifying it it's not meant to be rude yeah. it's not meant to put people off and think that we're terribly special and we're not you know we are literally not ready yeah. and 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 it's lit, it, it's a bit like going into battle with with part of your armor missing really you know like hang on hang on just let me put my helmet on yeah you know but, but it's um i think what's what's beautiful about chekhov and again you know the reason, as you say, that these writers survive, or that we we rediscover the 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 Ratigans and the Harvey Granville Barkers, and you know, and the the coward is that the writing has has such timeless truth in it. Yeah. And what's so beautiful about Chekhov, and what I imagine, not having seen it, but with the Cyrano, is that you you see these characters, you know, in their in their rawest form and yeah. you see the sort of the sponge-like porous youth against the you know unchangeable sort of stalwarts of the community that is sort of lost its way you know and it'll be all right when we get to moscow or whatever it is yeah. you know and that nina and constantine are impressionable and yeah. and and desperate for love and for uh, to belong and to have some sense of what their future might be because the future is changing yeah. uh, you know and the world that their parents grew up in doesn't exist anymore and and so to see that spoken or rather to hear that spoken without um the complications of interpretation and costume and yeah. set and you know, which are all wonderful as well, and all worlds that you can lose yourself in, and and you and you just and 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 you know, it's never less than wonderful to 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 watch all of that. But when that's not offered to yeah. you as part of the experience, and you're just literally hanging on the words, you then feel every 
single difference between the characters and what and and how clear Chekhov was in his intentions. So clear. I mean, so clear. And this and and as I say, what it does really strip it down to. I mean, I I think it's really interesting what you say. I wouldn't want to see everybody do Chekhov this way. I mean, you know, it, it's something that he's doing and that that is, is providing him with a very rich source yeah. of exploration. You know, and I think that's what's great. You know, that so like somebody else might come along and put it in heavy Victorian costume and it would also be revelatory. Yeah, yeah. I love the fact, but I love the fact that he's doing it. And what it is revealing of is just that kind of, it, it really focuses it onto that particular play, which has two actresses and two playwrights and yeah. uh, being about theatre. And, and that just seems, but also, as you say, life and hope and change and young people and old people and it's devastatingly good and I really um yeah but really it's just but also just whatever really gets a new generation into a theater uh, yeah. is just got to be celebrated really i think we've discovered in this episode why people's the most common nightmare that people have as well is going on stage and not knowing their lines and that sense that i still oh, get that i've never acted like in my life my really and I, yeah <laughs> So now we know that is absolutely the case with previews. Yeah, um, they, they, I mean, I can I can totally understand it from from your point of view, and and also, particularly if people are talking about it. And yeah, it's really hard. In. But actually, you know, in terms of what's going on in that theatre, every single minute is being used. And, yeah, and and it's not meant to upset anyone. It's okay, just, well, it's I won't just, get grumpy in future. No, no, it's just needed. <laughs> you know, we're all running around going, "What the hell." <laughs> We can't do it. And then you go, oh, actually, I've got to do it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so I think that's a really good moment to wind up this episode of As the Actress Said to the Critic. And it's goodbye from me, Sarah Crompton, the critic. And goodbye from me, Nancy Carroll, the actress. <laughs>